All right. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews and chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Sooner or later, you are going to have to deal with this passage of Scripture. And the reason is because the Scriptures here has something to say that is very easily, well, twisted. Because it seems to say uh, something along the lines that you can lose your salvation and that you might have to get saved again. And so many people use these verses, and so you need to know how to explain them to keep yourself from doubting their questions. So if you notice, the, uh, the title of it is a study in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And uh, the first word there, hermeneutics, that's the art of biblical interpretation. In other words, there's a whole book and lectures that I've taught many times on the subject, hermeneutics, the art of biblical interpretation. How do you understand the Bible? And so there's certain things that you're supposed to do to help you to understand what it's talking about. And once you learn certain things, they help you to understand the scriptures. So let's read there in Hebrews chapter 6, look there in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. And then it uses an illustration that we'll look at in just a moment that kind of explains the, the teaching that's going on here. The book of Hebrews, so that you know, you should always try to find out who is the scriptures talking to. And to understand that the scriptures does not contradict itself. In other words, the teaching in one place will not contradict another situation or another place if it's talking about the same subject, talking about the same thing. Now, you can take parts of scripture all over and make it say whatever you want to, but not in any context. A lot of people just try to make it say whatever they want. And sometimes I've had people, they'll ask me, says, um, well, what do you think about this verse? And I'll tell them what I think about that verse. Yes, but, because they don't want to accept that answer. They want it to be a different answer so that their conscience doesn't bother them that if they violate that verse. So they want to know another verse that makes them feel better. And so uh, that's why even if you go to Bible college, you might study for four years it's just to teach you how to study the Bible. It doesn't mean you come out with, you know, you're a Bible now and you know everything. It just gives you certain things to study for the rest of your life. But the reason this is important because he, Hebrews is written to believing Israelites, believing Jews. These are people that are of the nation of Israel. They've trusted Christ as Savior, and they still have that inclination of the law that they've been doing all their life. 
it's just like you and I here, we, we, we go to church, don't we? Yeah, and we read the Bible, yeah, and we're baptized in water, yeah. But we don't do those things to be saved. But because we are saved, there's things that we do. But there are some people that get into teaching that, you know, that's what you got to do to be saved or to stay saved. Well, they were doing the same thing under the law. And uh, so they had gotten uh, their messages mixed up. And so it's so easy to be saved by grace. And then because of error in your theology or teaching, uh, you can believe the wrong thing and begin to teach a message that you were not saved by. But are you still saved? Yeah, you'll still be saved, but can a Christian teach, you know, a false message? Yes, you can teach a false message and, and still be saved. Uh, but it's not the will of God, and there might be a little chastening coming your way. So we're supposed to watch ourselves and guard our testimony. So here in the book of Hebrews, when he makes the statement, and what usually causes the problem is when it says there in verse 6, if they shall fall away. Now, Look there in your notes at the top of the page there where I have always interpret difficult passages with clear passages. You don't do it the other way around. You and I know that salvation is the gift of God. So therefore, it'll never be by works. And since you know that it's not by works, you know that salvation in the scriptures will never be kept by works. So you know that Whatever it seems to say, it cannot say that you're saved or kept saved by your works. It's impossible because that would contradict the clear teachings of Scripture that a man is saved by grace. If he's saved by grace, he is kept by grace. That means you didn't earn it to get it, and you can't earn it to keep it. It was given to you as a free gift, and it's, you keep it as a free gift. You didn't do any good works to get it, and you don't do good works to keep it. And your bad works didn't keep you from getting it, and bad works can't take it away from you. So, but once you understand that, then you can, now you can read the Bible and understand a lot of other scriptures and say, well, now it can't mean this, it can't mean that. So you eliminate certain possibilities. The next statement there, always compare scripture with scripture. Know this verse, and if it seems like it says something, check that verse. Because you know that it has to be in agreement. And um, if you understand it, it will, it will help you as you rightly divide the Word of God. Always consider to whom a book is written. So this is the book of Hebrews. So it must be written to who? Hebrews. All right. There's saved Hebrews and there's lost Hebrews. I wonder what kind we're talking to. We're talking to those that know the Lord. These are saved individuals. And I preached a sermon the other night on uh, the let us, let us, let us, let us. And I'm not going to repeat that sermon. But it's written to those that believe on the Lord. So whatever these verses are saying, it's saying to those who know the Lord that cannot lose their salvation, so they can't get saved again. So you got to find out, okay, what is it saying? And so... When someone says, these are those that comes right up to the door of salvation. They're right there at the door. But uh, they don't get to go in. No, that's not what it's talking about. Now, you could use the illustration in the Old Testament where the children of Israel is there in the wilderness. And they get right up to the promised land. And they didn't get to go in. 
Well, they didn't get to go in, but that's not talking about heaven and hell either. The Bible does talk to us about, as a child of God, going on to maturity. And while a person may be a child of God, it doesn't mean that they're automatic, you know, qualified to teach the Word of God. So, as time goes on, you ought to be learning the Word so that you can teach the Word. So look there in Hebrews in chapter 5 and verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered or explained, seeing you're dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers. So we're talking to those who ought to be something that they're not. It didn't say you ought to be saved. <laughs> no. You ought to be lost. No. It's talking to those who know the Lord but are not serving the Lord. They're not growing in the Lord. They're not able to teach the Word of God yet. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, you've got to relay the foundation. Not get saved again, but teach you the simple basic things that you need to understand as a child of God so that you can grow. You don't have to get a person saved again. And so he says there in verse 13, for everyone, now we're talking to believers, now we're talking about lost people. The believer, he says in verse 13, that everyone that uses milk is what? Unskillful in the word. So evidently we must be talking to something about, in the book of Hebrews, about a person becoming skillful in the word of God. And that they were not skillful. In other words, they could not rightly divide the word of truth. So you may be saved, and you've had a Bible for 20, 30, 40 years, but you're not mature enough to know how to make it work for you. So you don't just need a knowledge of the Bible. You need a working knowledge of the Bible. And that's why he says there, and you look at that verse in chapter 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is quick, means it's alive, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So the thing that lies between a child of God and a man of God is the Word of God in between. So as you grow in the Lord, you are to mature in the Lord so that you can teach the Word of God. So at this point in your Christian life, can you teach the Word of God? You say, well, I've been saved for 30 years. It's not the question. These people could have been saved for 30 years but they were still unskillful in the word of righteousness. And they were still considered babes in the Lord. And you say, well, I know this, now I know, but do you have the knowledge of the word of God that you can teach forth the word of God? Look what else he says. In verse 13, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are mature, full age. Those who by reason of use, see those three words, those, that's very important. See, if you want to grow in the Lord, learn to use the knowledge that you now have. And if you will use the knowledge that you have, God will give you more knowledge. And when you get more knowledge and then you use that, then you'll grow and God will give you more. But if you don't use what you have, then you'll lose what you have. And you can't remember the scriptures. After a while, you can't remember it. It will not be there. So you study the word of God so that you can use it. And then if you'll use it, God will give you more because he's leading you and you're growing in the Lord. 
part of the problem of these, he says, you can't go to maturity unless God permits you to go. You say, how does God keep me from going there? He doesn't give you more light. You may read the Bible and not gain anything. You can go to church and not gain. Why? Because you're not walking according to the light you have. And God says there in chapter 6, in verse 3, and this will we do. What will we do? We will go on to maturity if God permits. And why wouldn't he permit it? Because if you're not obeying the light that you now have, why should God give you more light? The more light you get without uh, using it or applying it will only blind you. Then you can't see at all. And so that's why you're to line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. You'll learn little by little. God doesn't allow a man to learn it all at one time. You have to get little by little, and then you have to apply it. Then you get some more, and then you apply it, and you grow that way. And so this is what God's talking about. See there in verse 14 of chapter 5, where he makes a statement, Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern. See, part of your growing in the Lord and maturing in the Lord is your ability to discern. That means you can decide and understand what's right and what's wrong. Uh, look back there at your notes. Always consider the context of the passage. So we understand these verses if we eliminate the chapter division and just look at the context. What are we talking about? Are we talking to the lost man on how to get to heaven? Or are we talking about a Christian on how to discern the word of God? A Christian that needs to grow in the Lord. A Christian that needs to be maturing in the Lord. A Christian that ought to be able to teach the word of God. So when you put it in that context, then the last part of that, or chapter 6, will make a little bit more sense. You can understand it. So you always got to consider the context. Uh, look there in your notes where I have, number one, three things the author is warning us about. And this is what it says. Now we've got to find out what it means. Number one, consequences of falling away. Whatever that means, there's consequences, if they shall fall away. So there's a consequence. The second point, what would happen if they fall away? It's impossible to renew them. Now, you can't deny that. Scripture says that. Why is it impossible? Seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh again. So what does that mean? Because that's what is stated in these verses. And so... When you don't keep it in its context, then you will let your mind run wild and you'll leave the context and you'll use imagination and you'll run hither and thither and go wherever you want to go and try to figure out what it's talking about. But maybe it's explained right here where you are. A lot of times what you find written in a book will be explained in that book. Not all the time, but a lot of times the answer is right there. So we know we're talking to the believers and what they need to do. Why shouldn't we go on to maturity? And if I go on to maturity, it means that I haven't lost my salvation. And if I haven't lost my salvation, uh, then you don't have to try to get saved again. And the reason you don't have to get saved again is because you didn't get lost. Just because you did not grow in the Lord and mature in the Lord doesn't mean that now that's a sign you never really were saved. No, it doesn't mean that. It means you're a babe. Because once you trusted Christ as your Savior, you're saved forever. You're God's child 
forever, and that will never change. So number two, there are four views of this chapter. One, a Christian can lose his salvation, and there's people who teach you can lose your salvation. Uh, number two, a mere profession and not possession of salvation. You're saying you're saved, but you're not really saved. Ah, that's a good possibility. So you can be a Christian and then lose your salvation. Or maybe you're somebody who says you're a Christian and you're not really a Christian. And uh, the third one is, hypothetically, if a Christian could lose their salvation, there is no provision for repentance. Uh, number four, a Christian who falls away is warned of being disqualified for service and blessings now and future reward. So there's a bunch of options that you can say, well, this might be, well, this might be, well, this might be. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of God's people all agreed on what the Word of God says, but that don't happen? Uh, wouldn't it be great if all the preachers in the world all preach the same gospel? If it is the gospel, they are. It's just that most are not preaching the gospel. Because the gospel and the test of the gospel is grace. If it's not grace, it's not the gospel. If it's not eternal, it's not the gospel. So the gospel has to be free, and it has to last forever. And if any one of those is missing, it's not the gospel. So it has to be free, or it's not the gospel. And it has to be forever, or it's not the gospel. So is the message that people are preaching, is that what they're saying? When you tell people that they have to turn from their sin, then it's not free. you got to make Christ the Lord and Master of your life, then it's not free. If there's something you have to, you got to go to church and live a good life, then it's not free. Okay, so it is by grace and it's free. Okay, if it is free, then it has to be forever. If it's really free, it has to be forever. And if it's not forever, it wasn't really free. Because they took it away from you because you weren't willing to pay a price on how you lived. So then it's got to be free. It has to last forever. Or either one of those, it is not the good news of the gospel. Don't you all understand what I'm saying? I mean, this is the crux of the matter. And majority of preachers do not understand this simplicity. They just don't get it. So anyway, look at number one up there under that. A Christian can lose his salvation. If this was true, they could not be saved again. Why? Because if they shall fall away, it is impossible to renew them again. In other words, let's just pretend for a moment you are a saved man. And then because of whatever, now you've lost your salvation for whatever reason. Then it says you can't get saved again because it's impossible for those that have been once enlightened, that have tasted the heavenly gift and all this stuff, and then to lose it or to fall away. If that means you lose your salvation, then it also means you can't get saved again because it says right there, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance because everybody knows you've got to repent to be saved. Well, that could be one of those views. But is that what it's saying, that you can be lost after you're saved? And if you can be lost after you're saved, then it's also saying you can't get saved again. Oh, boy. And yet, how many people preach that? But they never preach that you can't be saved again. They believe you can get saved and lost, saved and lost, saved and lost, saved and lost, and you just hope you died when you were saved. But you never know for sure. So um, I don't believe that's, that's correct. 
Uh, the second point was a mere profession and not possession of salvation. Is this just people who are claiming to be saved but not really have ever trusted the Lord? And the reason they say that because they just taste it. Just taste it. See what it says in verse 4? For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. Well, if you just taste it, it means you didn't fully partake of it. Well, the next part of the verse says, and we're made what? Partakers. Duh. So it's those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That's also mentioned in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 2. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But since it's right here in the book of Hebrews, look there in chapter 2. Look in chapter 2 and verse 9, where it makes a statement, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, and you ought to underline this, should taste death for every man. Now, when he tasted death, do you think, he, did he really die? Yes. He just says he suffered, suffered for the suffering of death. And when he tasted death, that's, have you ever tasted tribulations and trials? Yeah, I just, I just tasted it, but I didn't go any further than that. Fiddle. It means that you really did go through trials and tribulations. Jesus really did die. And so for those who have tasted the Lord is those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. And you know you have eternal life and you have been enlightened and you have been partakers of the Holy Spirit living within you. This is the saved people, not lost people. This isn't talking about those that though they're professing, but they're not real. No, this is talking about real Christians. You ever heard the phrase, you got to be a born again believer or a born again Christian? What other kind is there? Or you've been really saved or gloriously saved. Yeah. Like the guy laying up here in this casket. He's an atheist. All dressed up, nowhere to go. Wouldn't that be a shame? All dressed up, nowhere to go. <laughs> But he's really dead. Now, this guy over here in this other cast, he's just dead. But this guy's really dead. Oh, this guy's saved, but this guy's really saved. Now, look there in Hebrews chapter 6. So when he talks about those in verse 4, I believe he's talking to those that believe on the Lord. And why it's impossible for those who have been once saved, in verse 6, if they should fall away, to get saved again. And the reason why couldn't they get saved again? Well, because that means that Christ would have to die again. Because the only way that a man could be saved and then lost is because it means there had to be a sin that Christ didn't pay for. So Christ paid for all of your sins, and this is how most people believe it. Christ paid for all of your sins up to the time you believe. And then after that, you've got to keep getting forgiveness for all of these individual sins as you commit them. And if you die before you got forgiveness of that sin, then you've got to go to hell. Either Christ paid for all of my sins, or he'll have to come back every day to take care of mine. Or did he do it all at one time? 
It's appointed unto every man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So if Christ is going to die for a man, how many times must he die? One time. Because a man only dies once. So when a man dies, that's the end of his life. So when Christ died on the cross for me, he paid for all of my sins. And so the only way that I could lose my salvation is to commit a sin that Christ didn't pay for. And then if he didn't pay for that sin, well, the only way I could ever get saved again is for Christ to come back afresh, anew, and pay for that sin. Well, then if I commit another sin and then I got to die, well, now he's got to come back and pay for that sin. And then I can get saved again. And then if I commit another sin, then I lose my salvation. Then I've got to wait for him to come back and pay for that sin so I can get saved again. Well, if this rate, Christ would never get off the cross. I mean, how many times would he have to do this? Now, in the Old Testament, they had to do it over and over and over again. But Jesus, uh, he's different. He said, uh, one time. For the sins of the whole world. And people can't believe this because it's so simple. It's too easy. I mean, people say, well, that's just too easy. That's just too easy. Well, if it's so easy, why can't you believe it? You mean you believe it's hard? What's this? These are my glasses. So what is that? Those are a pair of glasses. No, 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 that's too easy. Believe hard. Mm. How do you believe? How do you believe hard? I guess by making it hard to believe. It's supposed to be something that every person in the world can understand. Even children can understand it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It means it must be something that every person can understand. It didn't say because of, well, based upon their education, how smart and intelligent they are, because, you know, this is hard and complicated now. Now, even a child knows something that's free. It's free. God loves you. God loves you. Kids can understand that. So here, if you look there in your notes, on the second thing, are these believers or unbelievers? So what are they? Are these believers or unbelievers? These are believers. These are believers. Once enlightened and to illuminate their mind and have tasted the heavenly gift. So this is talking to believers, and we're made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so as you go down through here, you can see I've got some verses in here that talks about being partakers and partakers and so forth. So the conclusion is that this is clearly to the Christian. Now, go back to verse 1. Look in verse 1. Therefore... Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto maturity. Perfection, maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. So what is salvation? Repentance is not trusting in your works to get you to heaven, but Christ. So repentance means you don't trust in your works and you trust in Christ. So it is required in Scripture that every man must repent. It means not to trust in the flesh, but in the Lord. And so you can't and you will not trust in the Lord until you have come to the conclusion, I cannot save myself by the flesh. 
I can't save myself by my works. So I don't trust in my works. I'm trusting in Christ. And when a man supposedly really understands that, then you have ceased from your labor of trying to earn something because you know it's free and you already have it. Makes sense to me. So that's why he says, leaving the gospel. You don't have to try to get a man saved again. We will go on to maturity if God permits. And God will permit if you will believe what his word says. See, there's many promises in the word of God. But see, if you don't believe the promise of God, then you will not go forward. Uh, And he used the Old Testament illustration of the children of Israel that had been in the wilderness. And they came to Kadesh Barnea and they were going to go into the promised land. And they sent in some spies. And they came back with an evil report. Ten out of twelve did, except Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb says, hey, we can do it. God promised and boom, 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 we're ready to go. They believed the promise of God. Ten of them didn't. Those ten convinced the whole nation, hey, we can't do it. They're children of Anak there, and they're giants in the land, and we're going to all die. And So they didn't believe the promise of God, and so they didn't get to go into the land because of unbelief. You cannot grow in the Lord until you believe what God's Word says. Now, you believed Him to get saved. Now, believe it to grow. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. How did you receive Him? By faith. How do you walk? By faith. So, it is the will of God for you to know the Word of God so that you might know the will of God. And as you learn the Word of God and begin to grow in the Word of God you'll find yourself maturing in the Lord, and you'll be able to discern right from wrong. See, the last thing you want is always somebody else telling you what's right and wrong in the Christian life, what you can and cannot do, or you should or should not do. Don't you want to learn how to walk between you and the Lord without having to depend on somebody else always tell you? Then grow up. Grow up. Mature. Haven't you seen children that never seem to learn and they become wild when they become teenagers? Of course, unless your mowing always comes to church anyway, and she, she's 17 years old now. She's had a birthday, right, Mo? Today. Today. But she will mature into a beautiful lady, and it, it, God's got all kind of great, wonderful things down the road for her as long as she keeps walking and seeking the Lord's will. And that's the same it is for anybody, but some people just don't seem to mature. I know adults that haven't matured. They haven't grown up yet. Still act like a bratty teenager. So God's Word tells us that this is what the story is. And so he says there in uh, verse 6, that if they shall follow it to renew them again and to repentance, Seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. I don't believe it's wise for God's children to live in sin for what Christ died for. And I believe that it is the will of God for God's children to walk and to serve the Lord and to do right. Because I believe it's like slapping Christ in the face for a child of God to rebel against 
what he did for them. But anyway, that's another sermon. But I want you to see these couple of verses. He uses now an illustration that I think are really good, super. Look in verse 7. For the earth, which drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it, bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed. And you ought to underline this phrase. Receiveth blessing from God. And then he talks about the earth also in verse 8. But that, the earth, which beareth thorns and briars, is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that, and you ought to underline these two words, accompany salvation. So there's things that God wants you as a child of God to do in your life. So he uses the illustration of a piece of ground. Let's say I've got 10 acres of ground. I work that ground and I sow seed and then I, you know, water it and fertilize it and all that. And, and know and behold, I've got me some beautiful crop on my piece of property. Now, the land is one thing and what is produced is another. And so I can see the blessing of God on that piece of ground. But you see, it didn't do it by itself. And like this one man, he had a preacher come see him and was trying to get this, uh, this old man to realize how wonderful God is. And uh, he says, you know, uh, look at this beautiful piece of land God gave to you. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Look at all that crop you got out there. Look how good God, look what God did. And he went on and he found this old farmer. He says, you should have seen it when God had it by himself. You should have saw that piece of land when God had it all by himself. You are the land, but there's a certain amount of effort and work that you're supposed to put into it. And if you will do with that land what God wants, there will be blessings to receive. You are a Christian. And if you will apply and sow and water, and you'd be surprised what you might be able to produce in your life. And to see the blessings of God upon your life. But if you don't, and if the farmer doesn't, you know, toil his land doesn't do anything with it, just let it go, it will naturally bring forth briars and thorns. Fruit takes effort. Just let it go and it'll run wild. The same thing with your life. You may know Christ as your Savior. And you can either be a piece of land that can produce the fruit of the Lord, or you can be a piece of land that brings forth nothing but briars and thorns. And I can guarantee you, you're not going to like the briars and the thorns. And you're going to waste your life. And all of that is, as the Bible says, hay, wood, and stubble. Or you can bring forth gold, silver, and precious stones. So this is what the Lord is talking about. And I believe it's uh, all in context. It makes perfect sense. So you see there again in verse 7, with that understanding, now look what he says. For the earth which drinketh in the rain, or the Christian that drinks in the word of God, bringeth forth herbs or fruit, and receiveth blessings from God. 
That's how easy that it is. And then in verse 8, and that Christian that doesn't sow or drink in the word of God, then he's not going to sow. And he just lets his life run wild. He's going to bear thorns and briars, and it's rejected. Because God's going to have to chasten. So by the time you get through going through all of this, and you get to Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about, cast not away your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. He says, but you're to live by faith, taking God at his word. And then he says in chapter 12, those that do not do what God says to do with their life, God says he's going to have to chasten and discipline. And there'll be tears. And the chastening for the present seemeth not to be joyous, but grievous. But afterwards it yieldeth forth the peaceable fruit, peaceable fruit of righteousness. So there's things God wants in your life, and if you put it in this context, it's just like reading a nice, beautiful little story. There's nothing wrong with it. You start trying to twist this and say, well, this is talking about something else. Then the whole meaning is lost. The truth of these scriptures will totally be lost because you apply them to something else that it doesn't even apply to. So then he makes a statement here in verse 9, but beloved. So are we talking to believers or not? Yeah. Beloved, we are persuaded, we, we are persuaded of better things. Better than what? Than briars and thorns. There's something better for the Christian. And the thing is, is to study the word of God so that you know the word of God, so that you can grow in the Lord and learn how to trust the Lord and do what God wants you to do so you can have the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your own personal life. And not only that, but what you can produce in the world in the lives of other people. So then he says in verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. So when it's talking about your work and your labor of love, do you think that would refer to salvation or service? See how simple? Service has to do with works. It's how you live. But when it talks about salvation, it always has to be free. So, I've already trusted Christ as my Savior. He gave me eternal life. I became his child. That was free. Now he's talking about what I produce with my life. Now, do you want fruit on your land or do you want briars and thorns? And if you got briars and thorns and as you walk about on your life, you're going to find yourself being pricked over and over again and you're going to hurt yourself. But look what else he says in verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered, and you ought to align this, to the saints. Now, is it supposed to be Christians ministering to the saints or the lost man ministering to the saints? It's believers that minister to the saints and do minister. And get this. And we desire that every one of you do show, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, the end of your race, till you reach that place in maturity where you can bring forth the fruit that God wants to produce in your life. And in verse 12, that you be not slothful. This is to the Christian. He's talking about his walk in the Lord. Be not slothful, but followers of them 
who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then when you get to Hebrews chapter 11 and the Old Testament saints and the promises that they have and so forth, all of it ties together. But don't get away from the simplicity. Salvation is always the gift of God. And once you are saved, you cannot lose your salvation. There is no sin that I can commit that can send me to hell. Christ died for my sins so that I don't have to pay for them. And now because I am his child, it is the will of my heavenly father that we serve the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We're so thankful that eternal life is truly a gift. It's free, and it lasts forever. And Father, we ask now your blessings upon each person here. Help us as your children to realize that, yes, we got a piece of land, our lives. And we can either bring forth fruit or bring forth briars and thorns. But Lord, according to your word, you desire better things of us. It's things that accompany salvation. It doesn't replace salvation. It just accompanies it. We're thankful for your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.